Our sermon text for this morning is Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you've been around, you know that we looked at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 last week. We're going to look at uh, Genesis 1 kind of as a whole this week and again next week. And then we'll look at uh, the creation of man and then we'll get to Genesis chapter 2. So we're kind of moving slowly through Genesis chapter 1, which is such a... Uh, say pivotal chapter in the Bible, but pivotal isn't even the right word because there's nothing beforehand for it to pivot from. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to read Genesis 1-1 through chapter 2, verse 3. But before I do that, let's pray together. Our Father, uh, I pray that as we draw near to you this morning, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, that you would Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and minds to understand and hearts to receive everything that you have for us in your word. I pray that you, Father, would be teaching us and leading us and guiding us. I pray that your spirit would be at work in our midst, that he would be at work in our minds and hearts, that he would be showing us things in your word, that he would be uh, speaking to our hearts through the scriptures. Father, we pray that you, by word and spirit, would be transforming us and renewing us into the image of Jesus. We pray that you would draw us close this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Genesis chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Well, when I was a kid, I had a couple of friends whose houses were always messy. And I just could not understand it. Why were they always messy? Now, it was utter hypocrisy because my bedroom always looked like, the ground, like ground zero for a natural disaster. But our house was relatively neat. Well, now, now that I'm a dad, I'm wondering not... Why were other kids' houses so messy? But how did my mom keep our house so clean? Order doesn't seem natural. Disorder seems to be the norm. When left to themselves, things don't become more orderly and productive, but less. And this is true of our, our bedrooms, our desks, our relationships, our hearts. Gardens untended grow weeds and not roses. And let me strip away the metaphor for a minute, right? We live in a world that is a mess because of sin. We experience economical and ecological, societal and relational 
mess. Our friendships are a mess, our families are a mess, our bodies are a mess, our hearts are a mess. How do we bring order? This is a question near and dear to me because I'm at least a little bit of a control freak, right? I don't like messes. I, I like what is predictable and contained and confined and controlled and orderly and beautiful. Well, this morning, we want to look at the means by which God orders his house. What we'll see is the way that God ordered his world in the beginning is the way that God is reordering his world today. Our outline, uh, for simplicity's sake, you can see it in the bulletin if you're there. Our outline is order, disorder, reorder. Order, disorder, reorder. Uh, Number one, order. God orders his house by word and spirit. Uh, Where does does order come from? I, I think I've mentioned before that Uh, how much I have enjoyed watching the the Netflix uh, show, Tidying Up. Uh, You know, Marie Kondo is like this superstar of organization. She goes into a house. She teaches a a simple method for making all things new. And within the hour, the house is transformed. And I love it, uh, maybe because I want it to be true. (laughs) But if only it were that easy. Uh, The truth is, it is not that easy for our homes, much less for our hearts. Well, Genesis 1 begins with a world that is unordered. It wasn't disordered, but waiting to be ordered. Genesis 1, 1 1-2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we're going to talk more about uh, without form and void next week. But for now, just know that those words mean formless and empty, unformed and unfilled, unproductive and uninhabited. And some theologians use the word chaos to refer to what's going on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. But others think that that word sounds too destructive. Again, nothing has been disordered, it's just that nothing has been ordered either. And there is a difference, right? There's a difference between dumping out a fresh box of Legos and grabbing the instructions and going at it, and looking at 10 years worth of Lego fragments lying on a table in your basement, right? Half-made cars, bodies without heads and legs, and the impossibility of finding that one piece that you need, which you know you have somewhere in this mess. Right? That, that's the, the unordered, the new box of Legos, versus the disordered 10 years worth of Lego shrapnel. Well, Genesis 1-2 describes the yet-to-be-ordered creation. And the language of darkness and deep feeds into that. Both seem unsafe, unfit, un- inhospitable for human life. So we have here a world that is unproductive, uninhabited, dark, and deep. But there is hope for this barren wasteland because the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. God's Spirit is ready and waiting. This picture is intimate, right? The word for hovering is used in Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 of God. It says, with Israel, God is like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them up on its pinions. 
And so the Spirit is here fluttering over creation, again waiting, ready to make His move. And then God speaks, let there be light, and there was light. And you may have noticed that the narrative as we read through chapter 1 is driven by God's speech. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters be gathered. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man. It is God's word that drives the story and does the work. And yet not without the Spirit, right? Don't forget the Spirit. God's Spirit is there, ready and waiting. The Spirit is the one who brings life. Job chapter 33, verse 4, Elihu says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104 says that God gives food to all living creatures, that when He hides His face, they are dismayed. But when He sends forth His Spirit, they are created, and God renews the face of the ground. See, the Spirit is, is God's creative power, energy, force going out from Him to bring life. But is it the Word? It is the Word that calls forth the Spirit. And so you have God working with His Word and working with His Spirit to bring about creation. The psalmist brings this together most clearly in Psalm 33, verse 6. He says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath, that is spirit, of his mouth, all their host. Creation, according to Psalm 33, verse 6, and Genesis chapter 1, was by word and spirit working together. And, of course, at least one of the things this shows is the unlimited power of word and spirit. God fashions Everything you see, everything you know, everything you can touch and taste and feel by word and spirit. God brought order to the universe, the order that allows us to breathe, to exist, to plant and harvest, to grow and learn. That order came about by word and spirit. There are no challengers here in Genesis chapter 1. No rival gods in this story. God doesn't have to exert himself. God doesn't have to fight a battle or subdue enemies. He simply speaks and creation is ordered. And that order is, is maintained by word and spirit as well. Uh, in fact, we already mentioned Psalm 104, verse 30. Th that passage is about God sending forth His Spirit to maintain and sustain His creatures. In Psalm 147, God's word directs snow and frost and wind. And Psalm 29, verse 9 says, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Right? Everything that happens, no matter how seemingly insignificant, happens at the command of God. His word is the expression of His will, and by His will, all things come to pass. Really, what we think of as the laws of nature are really the will and word of God, ordering the created universe, sustaining it, maintaining it every single moment. Words are powerful things. I mean, think about it. Even our words carry our weight. They carry our authority. They carry our minds and wills out into the world. I mean, when we speak, we are giving people a piece of our mind, giving them our thoughts. Now, our words can't do what God's Word does. 
But Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4 says, For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? See, our words still carry our weight. They carry our power. They carry our authority as human beings. With your words, you can encourage a friend or make someone mad. With your words, you, one can start a revolution or calm an unruly crowd. With words, we can pronounce someone husband and wife. And with our words, we can destroy that same holy union as we tear one another down. And if our words carry our weight, our authority out into the world, how much more God, as His word goes forth, His spirit works with His word and things happen in the world. God's Word and God's Spirit work together to do God's will. Now, I believe that the way we are to understand Scripture is as God's progressive revelation, meaning God doesn't reveal everything all at once. Just as you might teach a child, you start with foundational things and you move toward more difficult things. In the Old Testament, one of those foundational realities was that God is one. God was speaking into a polytheistic culture. He had to impress upon Israel his unity. And so you have verses like in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. When we get to the New Testament, we find out that within that unity, there is a plurality, one God, three persons. And who are those three persons? Well, there's God the Word, and the Spirit, which is what we might expect from Genesis chapter 1. John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And of course, verse 14 of John 1 tells us that this Word became flesh incarnate in the person of Jesus. Jesus then says in John 14, uh, the, the, the word incarnate tells us, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that is another like Jesus, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is another helper like Jesus. John 15, 26, Jesus goes on, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. See, the, the Word and the Spirit are, are not mere appendages of God. They are full persons, our helpers from the Father. And so we come to understand that it was through the Word and the Spirit that God ordered the universe. God's personal power and weight and authority go forth in the persons of His Word and His Spirit. Now, when you look around, you may begin to wonder, if God ordered this world by word and spirit, how come it's such a mess? I mean, how come nature and society and the individual human heart seem so disordered? Well, that brings us to point two, disorder. Uh, disorder comes when we believe lies and rely on the flesh. Now, I won't spend a lot of time here, but if, if words are so powerful, lies are equally destructive. Anyone who has ever been caught in a lie knows how destructive they can be. And, and whatever side you may take uh, uh, politically, the past few years have been rife with destructive disinformation, 
which I'm pretty sure disinformation is just a euphemism for lies. And Proverbs confirm the power of lies. Proverbs 25, 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Why are lies so destructive? Well, at least one of the reasons is because reality is so relentless. If we believe lies about the world, it will come back to bite us. Uh, if I believe that I'm a bird and I have wings and I can fly, when I get up on my roof to head out to work in the morning, I am in for a sudden dose of reality. See, my understanding of reality is distorted, but reality itself is relentless. It is what it is, whether I believe it or not, whether I like it or not. In the same way, if I believe I'm the center of the universe and I act as if it is so, life is not going to work for me. Reality is relentless. I, I cannot break reality, though it just might break me. Well, Jesus says that Satan is the liar and the father of lives. He seeks to mislead us in order to destroy us. And, and we'll see that when we get to Genesis chapter 3, that Satan comes on the scene and he lies. He lies about God's love. He lies about the world's sufficiency. He lies about what, what is good. And the result of his lies is sin and guilt and slavery and disorder and death. And yet the opposite of word and spirit is not just lies, but lies and the flesh. Now, the flesh itself is not bad. I mean, we see this in Genesis chapter 1, right? God sees the world and it is good. But the moment I look to the flesh, the moment I look to the created order to be for me what only God can be, I am in trouble. If I depend on the flesh, the flesh will fail. Paul calls it setting one's mind on the flesh. This is, this is, uh, there is this theme in Scripture, of course, that the, the flesh, anything in this world, right, cannot save. So Psalm 33, which we read earlier, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 44, verse 6, For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. Isaiah 31, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. Jeremiah chapter 9, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And Jesus sums it all up in John 6, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, Jesus says, are spirit and life. See, whenever we look to the powers of this age, physical strength, academic learning, beauty, humor, charisma, money, intimidation, manipulation, social connection, whatever, whenever we look to the powers of this age, we are relying on the flesh. 
Now, that doesn't mean we can't use our strengths, but we must continually remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. doesn't matter how good of a builder they are. doesn't matter how competent they feel. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. When we believe lies and rely on the flesh, chaos ensues. Not beauty, not order, not life-giving harmony, but grating, jarring, death-dealing dissonance. God brings order and life through word and spirit. But when we believe lies and rely on the flesh, we experience disorder and death. And, and that is where we are in life, isn't it? We, we look around, we see disorder and death. We might say that Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 was not chaos, not disorder, just unordered creation, but we cannot say that any longer. This is disorder. Our lives are disordered. Our, our families are disordered. Our society is disordered. Our bodies are disordered. Our relationship to God is disordered. How will God reorder His world? That brings us to the third point, reorder. God began to reorder creation through Israel. How did He do that? Well, by His Word and Spirit, just how we would expect. God began to reorder society through, uh, through His commandments, through His law, through His rules. He, he, he gives the Ten Commandments uh, on Mount Sinai. His instructions told Israel how to live that their society might begin to reflect His intended order for creation. God began to reorder His relationship with His people through the tabernacle. In, in Genesis 1, uh, it's helpful to see God is, is building His kind of cosmic house. Uh, Psalm 104, verses 1 through 3 says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens at, like a tent, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. Symbolically, right, God was building his house. Isaiah 66 brings up this same imagery. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. See, God built his cosmic temple in the beginning by word and spirit. Notice when God has Moses build his earthly temple, he does it in the very same way. First, God gives Moses detailed verbal instructions on how to build God's house. And then God goes one step further, and in Exodus 31, we read this, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all, and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Why did God fill him with the Spirit of God? In order to build the Old Testament tabernacle. God filled Bezalel with the Spirit to execute his verbal instructions. And so God built his meeting house and began to restore order to the world once again through word and spirit. Now, of course, even that didn't last, right? Israel regularly rejects God's word and grieves God's spirit. The temple itself is ultimately destroyed because of the disorder of Israel's sin. Well, then years later, Jesus comes on the scene. 
He is filled with the Spirit at his baptism, and he begins to reorder creation simply by speaking words. He begins to say things like, your sins are forgiven, and take up your mat and walk, and to demons, be silent and come out of him. He begins to rebuke fevers and tell dead girls to arise. And the people say, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The one who gets this more than any other is, is not even a Jew, but a, is a Gentile centurion. His servant is sick, but he knows that Jesus, a good Jewish rabbi, should not come into his house. And so he says, only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. Jesus' word has authority. But why was that? Well, because Jesus himself was the living word incarnate by the power of the Spirit. You remember early on, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to impregnate her so that the Word could become flesh in Jesus. And in this Jesus, of whom Paul says, Colossians 1, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Right? The, the, the Word, by, through, and for whom all things were created, took up residence in human skin by the power of the Spirit. He became a man, the Word of God incarnate. See, Jesus is the, the new covenant, temple house of God, the Word in flesh filled with the Spirit. And it is Jesus, the, the Word incarnate, who then went to the cross to die for sins, who, who bore in His body the disorder of the universe, the guilt, the slavery, the suffering, and the penalty of sin, until that disorder overtook him so that he died and was buried. But of course, you know that's not the end of the story. What happened? He, he rose from the dead in the power of the Spirit, Romans 1, 4. The Spirit resurrected the body of the Word. Why did he do that? Because Jesus was righteous in himself. He didn't deserve to die. Scripture says the resurrection was, was Jesus' justification, the Father's declaration that Jesus was righteous. And so again, you have Word and Spirit working together. The Father declares Jesus righteous. The Spirit responds by giving Jesus life. And so Word and Spirit working together bring new creation. And Jesus is the first fruits of that new creation, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. So what's he doing now? This first fruits of the new creation. Right now, Jesus, the incarnate word, is building God's house, building God's temple, restoring order to creation through his word and spirit. How is he doing that? Well, how, how is he restoring order to this broken world? He's doing it first through his word, through the gospel. It is the gospel, Paul says, that is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. Peter says, we have been given new birth, restored order, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That is the good news of the gospel, 1 Peter chapter 1. James says, we have been brought forth by the word of truth to be the first fruits of God's new creation. And of course, it is the spirit who enacts this new birth, right? Jesus says we are born uh, by the Spirit, John 3, 5, and brought into God's family, the church. And then that same Spirit takes up residence in the church as God's new creation temple. 
Paul says we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord, that in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Jesus right now is reordering the world through his word and by his spirit. And that new order begins in our hearts and it begins in the church as God's new creation people. Now, of course, we all have a part to play in that. Uh, Jesus gives us his word, the gospel and the gifts of the spirit that we might speak and serve in such a way that would manifest his new creation presence. And so often we're tempted to doubt word and spirit. We doubt that the gospel is enough to bring people to himself. We doubt the Spirit's power in using our weak efforts to bring glory to God and blessing to other people. And so we look to other things. Uh, we look to our own efforts, right? If only we can get it right, then maybe God will bless us. That's my temptation, right? If only I get it right, then, then, then I'll see God at work. We look to other means, right? Uh, if only we have the right music in our church, the best hospitality, the perfect building, all those things are fine, but they aren't God's saving power. Or we try to get creative in ministry, right? Maybe if we have a puppet show instead of a sermon, or maybe if we put a Starbucks in the narthex, or maybe if we study self-help books instead of the Bible, or maybe if we have beach balls in the worship service, or a hot tub for a baptismal font, right? Something, anything, right, that will bring people. Well, I'm all for creativity and coffee, but, but no, right? No, no, and no. God's creative power is word and spirit. And so we must read his word. We must know it. We must meditate upon it. We must understand it, believe it, and apply it and live it. We must speak his word as we have opportunity. And of course, this, this means in the preaching of the word, but it can also mean in just our everyday conversations. We point people to biblical truths and ultimately to Jesus as the one who brings order to our unruly hearts. We embody his word as we simply be the church in the world as we are shaped by word and spirit. And of course we pray, living always in prayerful dependence upon the spirit, asking him to order our hearts, our relationships, our church, our lives, our world, and then stepping back and letting him do his work to his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you, to trust the power of your word and your spirit to do your work to restore this world. We thank you that you have begun your work in the church and in our hearts. We pray, Father, that, that we would get to play a role, be a part, and see your work be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.